If you could be a member of any sitcom family, which one would it be? The full Friends. House. Friends. The Proud Family. Back on the podcast, not by popular demand. <laughs> Our Niatin wow. Hadia. Let's go. That's very rude, actually. Unfortunately. Uh, Amber could not be here today. Um, she has some something Cra- going on. Crazy with her th- throat. Crazy disease. And uh, it's wait, let me not say it that way. <laughs> she she's she's sick. <laughs> um, but she says uh, hi to all the podcasts. Yeah. I think she she's, has like some strep. It's nothing too crazy, so she'll recover soon. And she said, for some reason, to say hi to everyone's brother. So, yeah. So if you have, so her spirit has not left her. If you have an attractive brother that weight lifts and does other things, Amber's DMs are still open during these hard times for her. So we got friends. I heard friends. I heard what else? I said the Full House family, but Full House family. Wow, making a new show. What was yours? I said friends. Oh, so two friends and one uh, Full House family. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the Friends. I've never watched Friends. Wait, what? really? <laughs> <laughs> so you just you just decided to go with that one. That was the one I just thought of. I was like, that's one of the most popular not even, ones, right? They're not even like a family. You could yeah. have went like of Fresh Prince. Damn. Um. The Cosby's. But, but is Friends the most popular or no? What's yeah. it come? Yeah. Yeah. One of the I most. don't know, maybe, but. That, okay, that's well, Nietzsche, you've it. seen Friends, right? Mm-hmm. I thought yeah, Gen Z people not... didn't like Friends. It's Who not is giving good? your information on Gen Z? Where are you getting this information? Yo, yo. Shamir, Shamir, you've heard yeah. this, right? What? Like, Friends was canceled by Gen oh, Z. Oh, yeah. Kind of. I did here i mean like it's problematic but everyone still watched it but it was a vibe you mess with the vibe though i mess with like how like cozy it is and like how cute it is mm-hmm. not everyone like everything just works out and like everyone cares for each other so much like it's so cute that's everything like, i want to be <laughs> no but i want to be a part of that friend group do the okay. disney shows count as sitcoms I don't know what ca- like I was just looking up like what the most popular sitcoms are and it's like like sh- well right now it's Shit's Creek and I don't even understand how that's a sitcom like I guess I'm thinking of it traditionally like where uh, like, yeah the like it's one room and it's yeah. like one studio room all that okay Full House is a great answer Thank the full fo- the Full House um house like you know when everyone would like whoever would be the guest and they would walk in and then they'd get this just great like applause every single time <laughs> and be like, oh, like this person's here. And it felt so homey. That's a good answer. Thank you very much. My you dad made you proud- watch it. <laughs> made you Aww. watch it. You didn't well, want to no, watch it. Well, no, I wasn't like planning on it, right? Because I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And then my dad was like, I used to watch this all the time to learn English. And I was like, all right, <laughs> like, I'll give it a shot. And that's how and you I learned really English? Liked it. And that's how I learned English. Yeah. Wait, actually? <laughs> no, that's not how I did that. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, um, he he learned English, like, partially from watching those kinds of shows. So he was like, it's nice. That's a good one. Did you okay. see the um, 
like the what's it called when they the brought reboot? it back yeah the reboot i started Full watching house. it and then i was like uh Doesn't hit the i same. don't think i like this as much yeah i i yeah. watched like the first season i was like ah don't they need it. the twins like what would that have made it complete I think no it, it was just like it, it was also like in the with the times but it didn't really work out that well like it just felt uh, weird and aunt becky right she had this whole yeah. scandal thing yeah. oh that was yeah that was afterwards i said uh the proud family does anybody know what that is i love the, I never I watched I it, but I know that it. it was an animated one we actually it's used to so watch good. the proud family it was like you know there was a lot of those black sitcoms that got popular and it was like oh this is different like this feels different and it was very cultural and all that and it wasn't your st- like standard sort of sitcom. Um, and there was a different type of comedy and stuff. Like The Proud Family was that in animation. It was a really cool family. Penny and all her friends. And there was like these bullies. It was a, it was a good one. If people watch Proud Family, they'll know what I'm talking about. It was a good yeah. one. Well, welcome to this sitcom, Strange Flavors. <laughs> My name is Shimmer. <laughs> I'm Faraz. You guys I'm can introduce you. yourselves. Right. I'm Neathy. <laughs> and this is the strangest and greatest podcast in the game. It's brought to you by Elif Theory. You can email us or send us your music at strangeflavorspodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. And we are also on YouTube. So be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. We're also on your favorite social medias, right? At Strange Flavors. And if you'd like to support this podcast and be like Strange Flavors Town, such as Bobber's Bagels, Cassie's Cupcakes, Airhouse Ices, Fariha's Falafels, Uslam's Apples, and if you want to open up your own store, there's a link down below. Bam. Bam. And we do have an awesome YouTube channel that goes by the name of Ronopono. We have a Patreon. We have a Discord where you can submit questions, guests, and other things and talk about you know the topics we talk about in this podcast over there in the Discord. And we also have amazing merch on ronopono.com. You know, you're fantastic at that. Did I ever tell you that? <laughs> no, for like two years, you're like, dude, you're trash at this. Like, you. Oh. <laughs> what? So, yeah, this was, is the first time. It was, uh, it was true. And it's still true. Damn. Okay. I got, I got these articles I need to share with you guys that I um, came across. And I just need your, I just need to know that I'm not crazy here. First one. You're crazy. Well, yes, that's true. <laughs> First one, I saw this on iHeart. Okay. Imagine. Okay, you're I'm married. Imagine. Sorry. You're married for 10 years with someone, right? Okay. okay I... What are you already saying? <laughs> okay, like... I'm trying to imagine, <laughs> but I, I don't know how that would be. Okay. Right. <laughs> she, well, this is from a guy's perspective, but she breaks up with you, right? 10 years, she breaks up with you. And then she marries your stepson. And and has a kid with him. Wait, wait. Like your actual son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she marries your actual son. Yeah. So she's an she's an Instagram influencer, right? Her name is Marina Bal Balmashiva. I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah. Her and her husband, after 10 years, broke up 
and then she married the stepson. The stepson is cool with it. There's like a picture of them before and currently. There's a picture with him when he's like a little boy. <laughs> She's 22 and he's seven years old. And now it's thir- she's 35 and he's 20 years old. He was, what the? Like, that's not, that's not okay. But who's, but who's worse, look- the son or the, the mother? Who's, huh? Like The mother. The mother? The, yeah, 100%. The mother. What do you mean who's worse? They're in love, bro. No, 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 but like... <laughs> Look, click, click on the link. Look at their pictures. And this they is going to change my mind? They actually look fine now. <laughs> like, they look like they're the like, same age. It's just weird seeing the picture next to them that, like, they're 7 and 22. That's the weird part. But this kid has seen this person as a mother figure for 10 years. Also, that woman, like, raised him, like, as a son. You can't... Just raise a seven-year-old and not see him as your son, or like know a seven-year-old and not see him as your son. What the hell? And then just flips. And then yeah, just be like, like actually, oh, I'm actually in love with you. She Let's actually looks married. younger in the older photo. Really? Wait. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's what photo? I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's weird because she looks younger. The husband's ex, I think, is like their babysitter. Yeah, this Hold family on. needs to meet new people. She, she <laughs> added, it. <laughs> it, it says right here, she added, did I have regrets that I destroyed the family? Both yes and no. I was ashamed that I killed the stability of mom and dad. Did I want to return to my ex? No. Do I feel anger and hatred towards him? Not any longer. That's so, so what about the relationship with the son and the dad now? Yeah. I guess, I guess she's saying she destroyed it. Okay, yeah, to make things in the family even more interesting, Vladimir's mother, another of, so Vladimir's the son, another of the hu- the husband's ex-wives plans to help them care for the baby. So imagine being the dad in this position. You just lost your wife and your son who are married to each other are having a son and your ex-wife is caring for the baby. Dude, the, the dad's probably like some super villain or something and has tormented them. I or think. this is his villain backstory. Or, the, yeah, this is, or that. <laughs> this is the worst luck any man could have right here. That's wild, bro. That's wild. I'm gonna follow her though. <laughs> He's like, I uh, wanna like, see how this her Instagram, her Instagram is linked below, everyone. Give her a follow. Okay. Okay, this yeah. one is one that you guys had uh quite a few opinions on, but um Isan shared this with us, uh another person that works over here at um Olive Theory but this was a this was an event it's actually still taking place on uh in March it's cinnamon and milk speed dating so white women and brown men edition so it's made strictly for white women and brown men and it's it's on Eventbrite and you can like okay. sign up and go to it uh and they have like other other mixes right like is it made by the white women or made by the brown person or we don't know does it say who it's made by? Because <laughs> it'd be funny if it's like a brown dude. Like, yo, I'm just trying to meet white women. <laughs> dude, I mean, it's I'm a, just trying to find a I want to know, know how many white women sign up for this. Because the funny thing is the picture is not even a white woman. She's at at most like Latina. But she looks like she's probably Daisy. <laughs> Wait, so they have other ones on here that are like, Man. oh. I wish like Amber the, was here. She would 
just be like, yo, men are trash. Like, after this. <laughs> well, the opposite one exists too. So brown okay. women who want white so I'm, men. I'm looking at the picture. The guy doesn't even look dizzy. This is weird. No, but but I don't think that there's a pro- like everyone was blowing up on the event, but like I don't know if there's a problem here. Like it's fu- it's so direct. It's to the point. How do I sign up? No, That's kidding. what I'm trying. <laughs> it's, it's, no, but it why says is ten, it to, 10 20 bucks. to twenty. Yeah, what does that mean? It's probably right. like ten for women. For anyone interested, uh, it's twenty dollars, <laughs> two twenty nine fee. You get one bottle of Grey Goose or Bacardi, and maximum of four people. Yeah, look, we will be doing a whole different event for white we- white men and brown women additionally. <laughs> it's. Do you think it's weird, though? Like, I know it's not seen as weird for you to go after some of your own culture, right? But for someone to specifically single out someone from another culture and be like, I only want that. Do you think that's weird? Why is that weird? Or is if that that's also like something that you're referencing? And also, yeah. especially if there's a if there's an event dedicated to this, it's bingo, like... That's everything you, why like try to, you know, go around the bush when you can just get right to it. Yeah. This is it. And, <laughs> and you'll find me there for sure. <laughs> so they, so they have a bunch of events well, that are made for like, oh, if a white women who want black men and yeah. like but, all the, all these combinations. But Hadia, to your point, I do think the weirdest people go to these. Yeah, I me think. too. But it's I like. Think. I think some people like I think some people it is like a preference right but then like there are people that will like take it too far like where they're where they like fetishize the other person's ethnicity and that's like the only thing they find attractive about them like I love yeah. I love the hashtags on here chocolate city chocolate city events <laughs> cinnamon hustler <laughs> we are the Starbucks yeah, of love Yo, what if we find the dad of the Russian? Oh wait, he's not brown. But <laughs> the Russian dad shows. He can, go, shows, he he can goes, go to the. He goes to the other one. The oh, one the white man. Yeah, the yeah. white yeah. man. Yeah. No, I think for. I agree with you. I think there's probably a lot of like weird people that might sign up, but there has to be at least like one or two normal people that are just like you know what. Who cares? Let me just go to this thing, and maybe they find each other, or they find someone else that they think is interesting, but. I I don't know. Like it's fine. They have like rules and like uh, itinerary, like of the, how this whole thing is gonna go. Itinerary. <laughs> can you see the itinerary? You can yeah. see the you can see the pictures too, and it's just like interracial um, couples just, or whatever. I just don't like the Shutterstock photo. Like they put a literal <laughs> Shutterstock photo. Yeah, and it has the Shutterstock um, logo watermark on it. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't. That means that like you don't have a success story yet. This is made by a boomer. Oh wait, there's pictures on the bottom. That's what I'm saying. Different ethnicities. Why can't I just use those? But but none of them are brown men and white women. Yeah. Mm. It's everything but, like else. I don't know. This it's is... it's white girls smoking hookah, <laughs> and then a white girl with a black guy, and then just like some lounge area. That's the pictures. Oh so, my gosh. Oh my god. Uh, I think we should sign up. I think we should go check it out, see the scene. Be hilarious. You know what? You can recruit guests. For the podcast you can be like yo you know what i think you have oh, a really yeah. interesting story yeah like, why'd you go you to be this podcast. Yeah, this would be actually this would be actually really great to go to <laughs> hilarious I but like i feel like everyone fun. would be older i feel like this is an older type people. yeah like, like it says 21 well, plus well if feel... you if you want a cougar like oh true and maybe they want a little cub oh that now you got me interested <laughs> i'm telling you <laughs> that's <laughs> interesting 
We could we could partner up. We could go together. Wear suits. Yo. Show up and be like, yeah, I'm looking for some, you know. <laughs> Can God, me and Hadia dress up as guys and then come? No, there's a separate event for you. Go yeah. to that but one. I feel like that makes me <laughs> feel uncomfortable, though. It's in, it's <laughs> in Let in me DC. just wear a mustache. It's in D.C. It's in D.C. What if it's all? What if it's all brown dudes? <laughs> or, Hello, I come here. Or or it's like one white girl, and they're all like, they we're have their hands in their pockets all around her. It's like a circle, and she's like, "Hey." I have a feeling it might be that. Probably. Probably. Oh no. Hey, good luck to everybody that's participating. Yeah. I really actually want to go. Yeah. That'd be so sick. so it's a month from now so. I might like pull a pull a last minute show up. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, last thing. So this whole conversation sparked up um, this old traumatizing article for you two. It says five reasons why you should not date Indian <laughs> girls. Oh my god! Did you read it on ReturnOfKings.com? So the article is really inappropriate. Like it says, mm-hmm. horrible. here's what I don't understand. He dated enough Indian chicks to write this whole article. He could have stopped if he really didn't like them. He could have not. No, no, he wanted, <laughs> Nobody he wanted a fair him His heart got oh, so broken. What? This guy is talking to me this article. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, my heart broken. Let me write this article. This guy article. dude looks like the Michelin man. Like, but but the but the article goes from like the picture is of like the Miss America. Right? That's who it is? Yeah, they're they're unattractive, they're prudes, they're self-loathing, they're feminists. <laughs> oh my god. I love that a reason is they're feminists. Oh my god, number five, they're mentally ill. Jeez. I mean, can't argue with that one. Oh my Check. god. <laughs> Yo. Uh, I can't believe that someone wrote, and there's... I just think mans can't handle it. Yeah, legit. Like, what the... But could you imagine I found this article when I was like a freshman in high school and this like really ruined everything for me for a second. Neathy found this article by searching up why white guys don't like Indian girls. I was like, are Indian people attractive? And this was the first thing that popped up. I was like, hmm, very cool. Oh, thanks. Yo, the comments are even the comments are even funnier. There's some people that are like, this was uncalled for, like being very nice about it. But then there's one that says, um, where'd it go? Oh, they're typically ugly. Sure. But when they're hot, they're hot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. But mostly, mostly it's like um, people roasting the guy who wrote it. We should take him to the white men and brown girls (laughs) event. Yeah. Yeah. That's And then be like, yo, these are all your options. Yeah, exactly. but I don't know. I don't know if we can rely on that event to like change. Oh yeah, <laughs> he might be like, "Yep, this is a prime example." <laughs> Just kidding. Indian girls, you're beautiful. I want to know if anybody else read this article and like had a traumatizing uh, experience. Or agrees. Like, the, or agrees. Yeah. <laughs> hey, some of those things have to be right. So, he's on to. He's on to. Two of them are so. <laughs> All right. Well. Um, yeah, sometimes I just like to share like certain articles and stuff that are just like wild, but feel free to send over, uh, anytime that you guys find anything interesting, um, the listeners that you want us to talk about. Um, let's get on with our stranger today. 
So our stranger today is somebody who just hit their 10-year mark of sobriety, um, has a very interesting story about addiction and all that he's overcame. Very inspiring. So everyone, please welcome Neil Harmon. I'm addicted to you. Nice and artsy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, man. Made it comfortable. Um, you got the leaves on the side. This is that's like a three-year thing in the making. I have no idea what kind of plant it is. People give me a lot of shit about that. Are they I just real? Know it gross. It's a weed. Yeah, oh. yeah, wow. yeah. It is. Um, it's a nice yeah. touch. It works, right? I'm it proud works. of it. This, it's like yeah. my thing that like I got to water, take care of it, nurture it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm responsible for it. <laughs> there you go. Have you been keeping up with uh, what's been going on with the NBA? Uh, I mean, not, yes, yes. Um, I mean, I tune in, I don't watch games like I once did probably, but definitely just mm-hmm. through, you know, Instagram and I tune in every so often to watch a game. Um, but yeah, man, yeah. It, I, I, it's exciting. And I mean, I live in Brooklyn, so there's like a lot of just, you know, craze around the Harden trade and Kyrie oh, you guys and KD got, yeah. the Nets, so, the Nets going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you see the, um, the lady yelling at LeBron? I did see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what do you What do you make of LeBron? Like, are you one of those people that um, are are like a fan of his and and his greatness, or are you like, yeah, he's a crybaby? Like, <laughs> no, dude, I'm a supporter. I'm a supporter. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm a supporter. I mean, like the guy. You know, whenever I think you're that good, there's going to be naysay. There's going to be you know critics and whatever. But the, the, it, it's. It, I grew. I mean, I was born in in 1990. So as much as MJ was like, you know, the pinnacle of, of basketball at that time, like I couldn't appreciate it. I couldn't really watch and like understand what was happening. But with LeBron James, like I've, I've, I feel like I've, I've, you know, I've witnessed as he would, you know, like, I'm, I'm watching it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a there's a popular opinion um, going around, I think, especially in the recent years, because it used to always be. Uh, you know, those two guys pinned up against each other, MJ or LeBron, right? And it's like old generation versus new generation. A lot of people nowadays I hear are saying that they like um, MJ as a player, but LeBron as a human being. Do you see that? I could, for sure. I mean, the guy's a humanitarian. Yeah. I think he takes like every opportunity to, you know, the I Promise school or whatever. I mean, he, he like has used his platform. And I mean, there's a lot of people too that, that just kind of like, Acknowledge that this is a guy from the time, what was he like, 16, 17 years old? We was on Sports Illustrated. And yeah, the never, one. yeah, that's right. The chosen one has never like had bad press outside of like, you know, he, he complains to the refs and this, that. Like, but like, yeah, as far yeah. as his character is concerned, I, mean, I think he's a lock, man. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a role model and, and, and does a lot of good with his money. And, you know, I'm here for it. Plus, plus having to deal with like social media in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Michael Jordan never had to, and he had all those, you know, other issues. Imagine MJ trying to explain like all the gambling and, and all the different sure. controversies. I every story. For yeah. sure. I mean, that was kind of what was so insightful about the um, the Last Dance documentary that that came out. It was like the the one thing, as much as the the press was like surrounding everything Michael Jordan, there wasn't social media to kind of like really embellish some of that stuff, run with certain narratives, you know, complicate stories, whatever. So I can't imagine, dude. Can't imagine. He could just like hide away if he wanted to. <laughs> and that was 
I don't know. In so many ways, like I think he has. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, like he's kind of done that. You know what I mean? Like he 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 avoided the spotlight, and uh, and not for nothing. I think it was a lot of like LeBron coming out and being as active as he was that kind of perpetuated MJ into this almost like forced like I've got to I've got to do good with my money too. And he has been much more I think like in the spotlight around giving and doing all sorts of stuff, whatever. So yeah. Yeah, you're you're around a lot of um like exciting sports, even though uh you know with, I guess the Knicks or the Jets, it's not really that great. But there's the <laughs> Giants and the Nets, and baseball is always in New York. Are you are you like a, uh, into the the New York uh, fandom of sports now or no? I, I mean, I, I'm a fan of. I, I grew up right outside of uh, Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. You you don't yeah. have any like <laughs> no, professional no. teams in no. Virginia. No, no. I mean, like, so what we did do. I mean, the Nationals weren't a team yet, so so it was cool living in Maryland, obviously, like where I met you, because I did have like an affinity to the Orioles, because when we were in Richmond, okay. we would go all the way to Baltimore to watch the Orioles play. Wow. Uh, but as far as like DC sports were concerned, um, you know, the, the Washington football team was, was a thing. And my dad was a fan and, and, you know, he got to see them in their heyday, like win a lot of championships and that was cool. But it was, it was really tough to like actually be like, you know, that, that dedicated fan on DC sports. I I don't really know hockey. I know the capitals like, or, or, or something people get excited about, but I don't, I don't know hockey that well. And, uh, So as far as like football, basketball, I mean, the Wizards, uh, when I was in, in, in Maryland, I would go down and, and, and see the Wizards play re- pretty regularly. Um, but I just I'm a fan of, of, of just like there's so much just cool stuff to me about like basketball and, and, and football in particular. Um, yeah. Yeah. We have we have um, a lot of people that kind of go in all different types of directions around the DMV area because there's a lot of, um, you know, these these kind of. Uh, imaginary lines <laughs> that people yeah. draw with, with like you know oh I was born here I my parents grew up liking them or whatever so we don't have like as much um I think Baltimore with with the Ravens is like yeah. the, the most I guess pr- uh you know proud we are I, I that's like, definitely a proud fan base yeah definitely yeah. a proud <laughs> fan base for sure yeah did but, you, I mean it was did cool you see too, that but... a lot when you were in in uh Maryland well, I, th- I what what year did, did the Ravens win the, their last Super Bowl against San Francisco? What was that like 2013-14 something like that? Maybe yeah, even earlier, 12. Maybe I think it was the 2012 season maybe. Okay. So they like I the so I was there season. for the Super Bowl. Oh. Wow. And so I mean so it was it was obvious that people like people had something to root for and you got the Ray Lewis yeah. and the Terrell Suggs type vibes, mm-hmm. you know Good what story. I mean? Like people yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. People were into it. And so I get it. And I think uh, by nature of me, like being around that now, I, too, have an affinity for 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 Baltimore, especially with, uh, you know, the runs that they've put together of late. And yeah, it's cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely exciting. And we, we would always get excited about it because we like grew up just waiting for that moment. And we were too little um, to see it when it happened the first time. But, yeah, it was it was awesome. Um yeah, you made your way over to a little town called Bel Air, Maryland. Um, <laughs> you're from Richmond. Before we get into like your whole story and stuff, like what is the the main reason that you came over to the middle of nowhere, Bel Air, Maryland? It was just you, right? Dude, I, I, I first of all, um, it is like a weird, dramatic kind of like unconventional story. Um, but mm. I didn't know where I was going. I, I was, I mean, the the short of it is, I mean, yeah, we can get into it, but. I was in rehab 
as a 19 year old, just like clueless. And they were like, Hey, there's this little like recovery community in this, this town called Bel Air. Uh, and, and I honestly kind of, you know, associated that with like this, you know, Ritz Carlton, like California, oh. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, oh, cool. I, yeah, I can, I, I guess I can go there, you know? Um, and then all of a sudden we're driving through and like, we're passing the coals and my mom, you know, and what is that? 24, 22, whatever it is. My mom's like, yeah. oh, look, you can work there. And I'm like, where are you? Yeah, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> where are we? You know what I mean? Uh, so wait, uh, your family was with you or they were dropping, they, just well, checking we, it out? Dropping me off. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I ended up in, in Bel Air cause I went to a sober living. That's, I mean, there was a place called, I think they're still around there, a place called Maryland recovery partners. And they had a host of like, um, you know, halfway house, sober living, transitional living, whatever you want to call them, but for like a step down extended care for, for, for people who were, you know, in, in some form of rehabilitation for drug and alcohol use. Um, mm. so I was this like 19 <laughs> year old lost kid that had gotten into all sorts of trouble back in Richmond. And, uh, and they had made arrangements like, look, going back to Richmond's not in your best interest. We need to kind of, you know, turn a chapter, start over. We know of this young, this vibrant young people's community where like recovery is flourishing. People are like getting and staying sober. We want to, we want to get you there. And I was kind of like at this just desperate spot to say, okay, sure. Like whatever, just, just send me. Uh, hmm. and again, that's when my parents picked me up from the treatment center where, you know, I did a 28 day stint and they drove me up 95 and I ended up in Bel Air. Yeah, I I never know how this stuff works because my <laughs> only I only recently um, I was watching Breaking Bad, and <laughs> my only like knowing of how that system po- possibly works is like Jesse Pinkman um, when he's getting sent to rehab and he hates it and it's like you know yeah. all these people that are either they're trying to be like oh like let's <laughs> you know revive ourselves yeah. and then there's people that yeah. are really not into it like yeah. was that I kind could- of Go ahead, Shamir. I, I, I was going to say, like, I feel like in those shows, a lot of the times they paint it as, like, very bad place, even though it's, like, supposed to be good for you. Is I, it a well, mixed bag or what, what was it like? Yeah, dude, I mean, that's, that that could potentially open up Pandora's box just around, like, a lot of what I've... I, so there's the piece, too, where, like, I've I've had the opportunity to become, like, professionally involved with the treatment landscape and... <laughs> well, I, I think that so, I mean the 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 kind of pop culture dis- depiction of of treatment and recovery at times can be accurate, uh, like kind of in both veins of portraying it as like this kind of gnarly, superficial, weird like why are we really here? But at the same time, there, there is like a I was fourteen the first time like a court mandated me to go to this outpatient center, and. Uh, and that was like, I mean, it was just, you know, there was no real educate. I mean, the people were educated, but it was, it, it wasn't, I don't know. I was a 14 year old who is like, can you remember dare, you know, kind of similar to the mm-hmm, dare yeah. programs. Like just, the just say no type your vibes. school and then just say it. Yeah. They would show yeah. you some films and stuff. And as a kid, you were mostly like, oh yeah, like I'm not, I don't, yeah, need, I don't need that. We, yeah, yeah we dude. And that. it was, it was kind of cheesy. And so when I went to this, this program that I was mandated to do, it was my first possession charge. And kind of by all accounts too, even like, you know, was, was just a kid experimenting, nothing ultra crazy. Just, I don't know. I mean, definitely pushing the envelope, but, um, got caught. And that was kind of like, especially back then I was just like, I'm just unlucky. Like all sorts of guys Mm -hmm. and girls that I know are doing this. I just happened to get caught. And as, as a result, I'm dealing with this consequence that, you know, I'm legally now having to go to this, this outpatient thing. And, um, 
but what happened is I was kind of like, they, they had that certain rhetoric around like, just say no. So what's like kind of, I guess, referred to as psychoeducation of, of, you know, what you're dealing with and, and the potential kind of, you know, um, consequences that arise from dependence and addiction, et cetera. But it was kind of like social hour because it was me and all the homies that like had also gotten caught. Mm. And we just kind of, you know, cut it up, made fun of it, uh, compared notes, you know what I mean? Like hung out afterwards. I mean, it was it was in a way to like the Pinkman kind of vibe. Like I I was introduced to a whole bunch of other kids who just like liked the party like I did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's almost a little yeah. bit true where he started selling to the remember he started selling to like the other people that were in rehab. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you mentioned that you were you were 14. So let's get into that a little bit. Like what kicked off your path into uh, addiction in the first place? Take us through it. So um, I, the, the 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 easy way to answer that, I think, is it just and, and I, I think that at this point, hopefully I've become like an expert on myself because uh, I lived it and I'm not here to be an expert on anybody else. But I like for me. I think that there was definitely a piece where I was just very easily bored and um, also had kind of this mentality around like normalcy and how I wanted like I was fascinated by subculture at a very young age, uh, like, you know, pop rock or uh, uh, punk, punk pop music, pop punk music. Sorry. Uh like, you know, the Blink-182 in the, in the, in the green days. And like, I was fascinated by that whole like kind of thing. And, uh, didn't want to be kind of like the cookie cutter, go to school, get good grades, go to college, get married, white picket fence. Like I, I, I can, I can really kind of remember like not being interested what, in, in any is of that, that happening a lot around Richmond. Yeah, dude. I think that, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I was, I played soccer. Like that was a huge passion of mine. Um, I got my first drum set when I was, I think in fifth grade. So that spiral that kind of like kicked off this whole like music and subcult, like it, it, it introduced me to like a lot of different bands. And so th- I had this fascination with like, uh, with just being different, but I will also say like as competitive as I was, I also had this thing where if I wasn't like the best, and this is where I was just self-centered to my core. Like if I wasn't the best, I didn't even want to play, you know, like if I wasn't going to be the guy, and, and just have the spotlight, then, um, then it was kind of like, you know, it's not for me. I'm too cool for school. I was a punk. I was a total spoiled brat punk. Were you good at uh, sports? I, that's a probably part. Like <laughs> I, I was, I was decent enough. Like I got some accolades, uh, at an early age. Like there's this, um, there's, there's this, this, I, I guess it's considered like a farm team. The Richmond kickers, they feed, it's kind of like a, they feed into the DC United MLS team. And, I was probably, I guess, like eighth grade, so 12, 13, whatever that is, and um, played travel soccer, and they invited me to come be a part of their development team. And, you know, like there were some certain things where I was getting some notoriety and whatever. Uh, But what happened in the midst of that, too, is like all of a sudden I went from being like somebody that was really good and acknowledged as being really good to being around a bunch of other kids who were like really, really good. And I wasn't like the best anymore, you know, and I, not that I, I shouldn't even say I was ever the best, but that did, that kind of was a bit of a paradigm shift. I didn't have the language, sure. the, the kind of introspection to, to acknowledge like what was actually happening. Uh, but I think that that kind of brought me down a peg and I wasn't comfortable with that. So I started looking for alternative like ways to, you know, like what, what else can Get I do? Kick out of something. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's when all of a sudden drums became a thing because nobody was really playing music like that. 
And I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'm, drums are going to be my identity. If, if I can't be that guy in soccer, I'm going to be this thing in music. And chased it. And again, that's like it invited a lot of different bands and subculture and smoking weed and whatever. And I was just fascinated with like, you know, doing all that stuff. And again, was just kind of bored with, with the monotonous kind of groundhog day, go to school, whatever, whatever, whatever. While you're in this culture, did you like you said you were interacting with people that like smoke weed and all that stuff? Were there like a lot of older kids and older people that you're interacting with while playing drums? Uh, yeah, I think that was even it, there was the music piece, but I think more so it was just like nature of high school. Um, it was right around my like my freshman year, and I the way it's set up in Virginia, and it's probably similar in most places, but you know, kids predominantly go to public schools. Um, you know, so I went to the a, a, elementary school where I think four, it was four county elementary schools fed into the middle school. And then from the middle school, they feed into the, to the high school. So developmentally, there was probably like, you know, a lot of weird things going on just for me, like, you know, puberty and whatever, whatever, and hormones, whatever. But I think when I went there, very probably similar to a lot of adolescents, like there was this fascination around, Oh, the older kids. And I think it's funny, like now being 30, and looking at, you know, a 34 year old, I'm like, oh, dude, we're like practically the same age. Like we do the same shit, whatever. But when I was 14 and kids were 17, 18, it was like, oh, dude, they're grownups. You know what I mean? That's so, so true. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was fascinated by like, you know, they were they were driving, they were dating hot girls. They were, you know, whatever. And they were also drinking beers and smoking some weed, at least the ones that I was looking at that I was like entertained by. Yeah. So there was all of a sudden this like intuitive almost thing that was like oh i want to be a part of that what was it what was the thing that that you tried do you remember the first time um yeah I've, it's, uh for, first time was i mean just because accessibility well it's not even that beer i, I mean my, my my father you know the, growing up in virginia and especially to a father like my father who i love and adore i should i should make sure that like i, I mentioned that but we had a lot of like i was the kid that bought pink converses and, you know, painted my fingernails black some days in school. And my dad was like this man's man kind of, you know, like built his own construction company, uh, came from nowhere, like kind of hard, you know, he's a hard dude. So we had a lot of like, you know, my masculinity was all sorts of like, I don't know. And his, I kind of looked at him and was like, Oh dude, you're like tough, I guess, whatever. Hmm. And, uh, I think that, you know, as, as things kind of, progressed and opened up that um i don't know there was a piece of me that just like was fascinated by again these older kids and wanting to find an identity and be cool enough and all the you know peer pressure type stuff that i'm sure all sorts of kids fall victim to but for me personally like it became an immediate obsession i was smoking weed the first time i would drink my dad's beers because it was kind of like a rite of passage every so often but they were gross when i was a kid uh so but weed was kind of the first thing i think i was i was probably i was in eighth grade and uh, that was the thing, like immediately obsessed, like, oh, dude, this is cool, you know. And how often were you like getting high? Weekend Warrior vibes at first, you know what I mean? Like, but it was Monday through Friday. I don't know if you guys remember AIM or like Instant Messenger, mm-hmm. but it was like yeah. you go to school, you get off school. And then immediately if I wasn't hanging out with anybody, I was on AIM, like, where, where is it? Where are we going? What are we doing? And it was just like that was the form of of, of obsession, just planning it, strategizing it, needing to know about it, who's got mm-hmm. it. And then yeah. by Friday, we'd have it all 
tied together and let's rip and run. And, and, and I mean, especially down south, too. Was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Four wheelers mm-hmm. shooting guns, chasing girls. Wow. I mean, getting in trouble. I mean, it was a lot of fun. And then where did that take you? Did you did you go on to um, try other things? <laughs> well, similarly to that, you know, I mean, the, the, the dare people aren't always wrong. They kind of, you know, tried to plant a seed in me that like this, there's typically a progression here. Like the gateway. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? And that's in yeah. my case, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of a stereotype. But um, it when I realized like, oh, everybody's making a f- hardcore deal about smoking weed. And it's not like to me personally, as the 14 year old, like, you know, know it all. It's not that big of a deal. It became like, OK, well, what's what else can we do? It's probably not not a big deal either. And stupidly naively me and some some of the guys that I, I went to middle school and high school with again like a lot of us stayed close because we were soccer buddies and I, some of them i'm still very close with and was in one of their weddings and um a couple of them but uh anyways we talk about this stuff too there was also like this weird <clears throat> generational thing a guy that rode my bus from elementary school had an older sister who Unbeknownst to us, we, we would soon come to find out, but she she moved a lot of Oxycontin. Um, and this was also like 2010. I know I now know this was like the precipice of the opiate epidemic. There wasn't even like a label to it yet. But what was happening and I think, you know, anecdotally, there's probably a lot of, you know, like. Big Pharma was pushing it. I mean, there, now there's lawsuits against like, you know, all these different pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, Purdue. And I think there was another one yesterday, even with like this huge million dollar settlement. Um, but grandparents in, in kind of ordinary people with pain and chronic pain and cancer and sort of ailments, like they were getting a lot of heavy duty narcotics and they were right in people's medicine cabinets. So this dude that I rode the school bus with his sister was, uh, was unbeknownst to us, she was she was like she had a lot. Of, she she moved this stuff as like that's how you know that's how she made her money. And Michael, at a pretty young age, I mean very young age, was started learning kind of the ins and outs of what she would do and gained access to this stuff. I think that's how it went down. I'm pretty sure it was the sister that kind of like put the ball in motion. But before you know it, we're eighth, ninth, tenth graders, whatever, and there's this like hub of oxycotton down the street from us. And we have no idea what we're playing with. And uh, I remember being um, in, in eighth grade and we went into the bathroom. It kind of like, you know, experimentation mode, like a lot of us and put our hands out and bloop, bloop, bloop. We don't know what these pills are, um, but we know that they make us feel kind of funny and cool. And it breaks up the day and gives us a laugh and have something to talk about. And down the hatch. And that, that was the first time I did I, I did an Oxycontin. Um, it wasn't like this like catastrophic snowball effect right away, but the, 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 the wheels were spinning. I, I was, I was quickly mm-hmm. fascinated by like, Oh, you were getting dude, like, like ideas yeah. of what right. else could, this and like, do? it creeps in, right? Like you can't tell like, Oh, you're addicted to it. Right. No, dude. Like it, for me, it was like, it was, it was a gradual progression in, 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 in so many ways. Like I could say now, because I'm as old as I am and if, if, if been, you know, in recovery for as long as I have, you know, 14 to 19, for most folks, like especially, you know, as I, I am still in recovery and help people find recovery, like 14 to 19 is a pretty quick progression. But for me, from 14 to 19, again, like talking about like crucially developmental years, it was kind of a it, it wasn't overnight. It, it happened gradually. Uh, but yeah, the, the wheels were definitely spinning. And I was fascinated. 
you know what's interesting is like from my perspective um again i i'm i was so ignorant to a lot of this because yeah we had like you know weed and alcohol that was like a thing in high school but to think about oh yeah like let's take pills and these types of things even thinking about like the area like we grew up in the suburbs like richmond is similarly the same thing and what we were kind of fed was that oh drugs like the hardcore stuff and you know the the bad sort of criminal things are going down in the city and black people are you know controlling that and are getting involved in that so as long as you stay away from that you're good and meanwhile i don't know if you know this but like the the county you moved into like we were one of the number one um spots for a heroin epidemic and i knew a lot of people later on that from a young age started getting into like all those things with uh you know opioids and all of that and it just kind of flew over my head because of what i was fed uh you know this sort of information not like directly but kind of in the air you get what i mean yeah yeah like that problem exists on the other side of the tracks and we don't deal with it here and anytime it was like in the suburb community it was always like oh my god like you know these people are from such a good family like how could this happen and there was so much confusion and then we started realizing oh okay so like yeah this is not this has nothing to do with wealth no this has nothing to do with race Obviously, fascinating story. This happened. Okay, so Harford County got gnarly, and it it happened like right as I showed up, because what happened is, as much as I got off the, I I got to I got to 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 Bel Air in um, October. It was my sobriety date, October twenty eighth, two thousand ten. Is my my first day in Bel Air is my first sober breath, and what I watched happen, and that's actually another story because I just explained how like I came from treatment to. Bel Air, but I, I was getting drunk in treatment, which was another like crazy, it was you know, crazy stuff, whatever. But uh, we, I showed up and watched, like that was that was something that actually probably helped me stay sober because a lot of my friends who I was like getting sober with started really falling victim to like hardcore. I mean, like overdose. I lost a lot of friends early on. Like a lot of my girlfriend passed away from an overdose. Two of my like really close sober brothers died from overdoses. <clears throat> so it, it was a wake up call. But I remember working with doing the Owl magazine and going to <clears throat> they had a they had a town hall meeting. It was the first of its kind in uh, and that actually was at HCC. And Claudia is like, oh, we got it. I want you to cover this because she knew my story. I was very kind of, you know, open and transparent. I was, it's not like I was like you know, going around like I'm sober, everybody. But, you know, just by nature of getting to know people, they find out whatever. So she wanted me to go cover this thing. So I went and covered it. And I can't remember the gentleman's name, but there was like a significant turnout to this town hall meeting. And it was it was primarily about the overdose rates of Harford County and what was happening. And this black guy and probably one of the only people of color who's in the the, the town hall brave, like with, with courageously raises his hand. And I said, I'm, I, I mean, no disrespect when I say this, I'm paraphrasing it and, and I don't want to necessarily like butcher it, but he was acknowledging that like now people care because it's a white people problem. Like when yeah. all of a sudden, when it was a black people problem, the crack epidemic, it was just say no, the war on drugs, et cetera, et cetera. But then all of a sudden when it was a bunch of white kids in the burbs fatally, you know, passing from as a result of, of, of their addiction and, it's power, like then all of a sudden it became a medical kind of concern, right? And I was, uh, I guess like, interestingly enough, I was right at that like 
that that kind of paradigm shift watching that happen and i think that my first experience like actually acknowledging that it was happening was probably for the al magazine at that town hall meeting mm, wow yeah wait so so go back to um the after you know you've gone through all of that stuff when you're trying to get treatment you said you were getting drunk in treatment yeah dude um this and this goes to show like what the, so the progression of what would what eventually came to be the inevitable reality i found myself in is that like i lacked a mental defense to to stay away from the stuff and that stuff could have been booze weed pharmaceuticals other narcotics like if it was in front of me i i did not c- possess the capacity like my prefrontal cortex couldn't operate it just like, like went haywire afraid at all dude and like it wasn't even af- an afraid thing it was like because there was times where i was like this is dangerous but that was kind of like the reinforcing shame of it all like i still had some level of conscientiousness to acknowledge like dude you're going down a wrong path but i literally couldn't stop myself there would wow. be times there would be brief intervals where like you know I could put it away for a moment, but inevitably that like insidious thing would kick up and I just couldn't like no mental defense. So <clears throat> I find myself in treatment willingly. I, I acknowledge, like I, I admitted myself into this 28 day inpatient treatment and center. In you were 19 Virginia. then when you did that? I was, ni- I was 19. I was lonely and broke and had, had like the dramatic went from this, you know, <clears throat> this kid that played soccer and had it going on and AP student, whatever. I, another kind of, you know, whatever consequence in 10th grade did happen. I got expelled from my high school indefinitely, uh, for that's a whole nother situation. Uh, but I admit myself into this treatment center and there's again, like some Jesse Pinkman vibes. There's a shell station on the other side of the fence of this treatment center. And this is before too. I mean, like, I don't know, I'm sure treatment has been good for a long time in a lot of different ways. But it, it, I don't think it, it, it was then what it is today necessarily because, again, like the suburban white kid, like a lot of people started putting concentration into data and research and like how can we like treat this as a disease as opposed to like punishing it as a crime. And so this treatment center I went to, great treatment center, God bless them. There was a shell station on the other side of the street. A couple of the older dudes, because I'm 19, a couple of the 21 plus dudes were jumping this fence, grabbing 40s and coming back and drinking in treatment. I remember saying to myself, like, that's nuts. That's nuts. I'm voluntarily here to get my shit together and get on the right track. But then before you know it, like, these guys asked me if I wanted to join them. And, and I, I, like, all of a sudden, mental blank spot, and I've got a beer in my hand. And I'm, like, in treatment. Mm-hmm. So that also, for me personally, was a, you know, like, everything happens for a reason type, you know, situation. And, and it, it, it really, retrospect, is 2020, like, that helped increase my understanding of like this is a problem for you and and you cannot do this alone you need to ask for help you need to take the suggestions i could have fought tooth and nail to go to the extended care program at bel-air i could have said you know middle fingers up not going to do it i'll figure it out my way couch surf etc but that experience kind of like helped me understand like oh the depths of this like dude you (laughs) you got to get this under control from 14 to 19, what, uh, how is your family reacting to everything? It's, it's, it's important to acknowledge too. Like, I mean, you were talking about like, like I come from a good home. <laughs> like I cut, like, I, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that addiction or drug abuse is like, you know, by any stretch, uh, like you have to come from a broken home or like, you know, a lot of dysfunction. Like I, my mom traveled a lot because she was she was a hard worker and was a sales manager for 
a, a paper company. Uh, my dad, small blue collar, um, created his own construction company. Uh, my grandmother was around. We call her nanny. She was there to help raise me because mom traveled a lot. Dad was working hard. <clears throat> so very much grew up with this, like, you know, this moral compass, knew right from wrong. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, Southern hospitality type vibes. Uh, but despite all of that, I still got just like chasing fun and thinking I know what's best and suffering just from so much self-centeredness. I mean, I, I dude, I mean, from, not for nothing, like from a young age, I was like disciplinarily, like whatever, like I got into a lot of trouble. Uh, and not before drugs and alcohol were even a thing. Like I was a class clown looking to stir the pot, making fun of the, you know, the teachers, um, even in elementary school, like I significantly struggled to not get in trouble. Um, had a, had a bit of an angel in fourth and fifth grade, this woman, Donna Corey, who kind of took all of my craziness and helped me kind of like understand like how to utilize some of that in a, in a, in a productive way. And she really kind of like, you know, Neil, you can be a leader. <clears throat> you can use all this charisma for good. She made me, this is a funny, just, I think some I haven't thought about in forever, but she made me, uh, vote, uh, not vote, but run for the SCA president of the elementary school. Oh. She was like, you, you know, you can use it, whatever. And I, I did. And I actually won, but because nice. I was such like this kid that got in trouble, I the principal tried to intervene and be like, I don't know if you're the best representation of this. And like my mom had to get involved, you know what I mean? Like just whatever funny yeah. stuff now. But, um, the, the writing was on the wall to an extent. And, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, but by the time you know drugs and alcohol were introduced to the mix, it was again, it was just kind of like, oh, dude, now we're now we're running. So did they like, did they like ever question themselves, blame themselves, like what, where did we go wrong? Why is yeah. it this way? Yeah, dude. I mean, <clears throat> if we if we wanted to, we could get pretty dramatic. I mean, it was like, mom was crying a lot. Mom was crying a whole lot, yeah. and dad was just cold and shut down and like, kid, I can't figure did, you out. Did that hurt you too? seeing that it did but it, it, it at that age and it's, it's just incompetent in a way that i was i it, it made me angry because my whole perspective and delusionally was look the other way and let me live like i'm fine like if you guys weren't as strict or didn't have these rules or etc cetera, etc cetera, like i you know i'd be I, I'd, I'd figure it out i'd make it and it was just total just egomania adolescent just like you know grandiosity but it it and what that did is it created like a level of contention between me and my parents so when mom is crying i didn't i didn't possess the emotional capacity or empathy to understand like dude you are playing a part in this you are actually like not playing a part in it you are like the part in this like you're the one that's con contributing to, to, to all of this madness um but i was so oppositional and just so like lost <clears throat> that I didn't see it that way. It, it all angered me. <clears throat> the only way that it became self-evident to me, I mean, the consequences getting kicked out of school didn't really wake me up to, to, to a more or lesser degree. Uh, what really was the, the, the thing that like, like finally I woke up to was that I was alone and broke. Like I, my parents had cut me off. I, they, they were, decent enough and, and loved me to, and they, they did try to kick me out one time and I left and couch surf for a while. But, um, I was at, I was at my parents' house and just like, was so, it was so, the, it was so obvious to me on an intrinsic level, not an extrinsic level on an intrinsic level. Like, dude, 
this isn't, it's not, it's, it's not happening. You're not like suicidality came into play. I was just very lost and depressed and had no one else yeah. to blame. You know, I think when you say, you know, like I come from a good family and all that, it's, it's not just this case, but many cases mm-hmm. where whenever we take a shift in something, we feel the need to say something like that because <laughs> of what our communities represent. And yeah. for example, like Shamir and I, we come from like a South Asian community or like a Muslim community. And mm-hmm. we have these super high standards. I think a lot of immigrants in general would have this super high standard of our communities don't do this stuff. And then as we're growing up, you know, we're, um, we're, we're like the generations start coming in and shifting. Um, you start seeing a lot of kids in our communities going towards these things. Mm-hmm. And then everyone asks, oh, what happened at mm-hmm. home? Mm-hmm. What was, you know, it, it must be something that the, the parents didn't teach or something like that. But as you said, it's just, it's just about like the crowd um, that sometimes yeah. you're around, the boredom, things like that. And for you, um, you know, it, from a young age, it seems like, yeah, you were that kid that kind of needed that, that teacher to be there a mm-hmm. while uh, that kind of, you know, put you in that position. And I can actually relate to that because I was a huge troublemaker when I was little. Um, I used to get in trouble all the time and I was the one sibling out of my other, uh, you know, two that they were always, my parents were always like, you know, why can't you just like stay in school, behave, like, you know, (laughs) not get detention, get straight A's, things like that. But we don't all click the same. And sometimes we go towards different vices. For me, I was very blessed and lucky that I found something early on, which was like creativity and, and trying to explore that. Not everybody gets that same opportunity. So when you show up at, and this is why I wanted you on the show is because when I saw you, when I met you for the first time, um, we were working on this magazine together. Mm -hmm. I was the art (laughs) director there and uh, there was a lot of really fun and unique people. And of course, Claudia, the advisor who's been on this show before, uh, was so enthusiastic and, um, you know, really just empowered people. I mm-hmm. saw you and I was like, man, like this guy has so much charisma and he's so confident. Like, but then I related to, cause I'm like, I feel like he was, he just found this. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. this, was, <laughs> was that something that you started getting excited towards? It was like journalism and photography and all that kind of stuff. Like, did that start to become some, some sort of advice <laughs> for you or what? Yeah. As far as healthy outlet, healthy form of expression. And that is, I think in a lot of ways, like music was for a, for a minute, but then when I got sober, like I needed to find something, I needed to find something where I, I like, I think it came down to an identity thing. Like Neil, who are you? And what happened is through the recovery community, I started like putting myself around other sober people who, you know, the, the kind of approach that that is as far as, you know, the spiritual component, as far as the work that, 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 I, that for me personally in my recovery, what I deem my recovery, like what I found. But then when I met, so then I started going back to school. I was probably, what was I? I was like probably three, four years sober when I first met you. So I had been doing some work. I'd been like really dedicated to like, okay, let's practice some radical acceptance day at a time for me personally, like, you know, find my meetings, channel, like my mentorship, like do, do the thing, stay in the middle of the, of the pack. <clears throat> I had been working a lot of restaurant jobs. One, I was like, okay, I'm not trying to be a line cook at Applebee's forever. And mm. said, there's Hartford Community College right down the road. I was once upon a time like a good student when I showed up. 
So now I'm actually motivated enough to show up. I think I was probably 23. And um, I, so I started showing up and that's, I used to write all the time in treatment. That, that became like a healthy outlet for me, journaling, expression, like all just. So <clears throat> through that form, that medium, I started like looking for different kind of like, okay, well, what can this turn into? Is it, you know, short stories? And at HCC, I took a short story class and um, a creative writing course with, I think it was like uh, uh, Professor Fox, if you remember her, dude. I mean, so like, I, t I started trying to channel, like, how can I, how can I like turn this expression into something more than me just kind of like putting my thoughts on a, on a piece of paper. And I found like profound. So you were trying to find some like sort of purpose, some sort of thing to, purpose. to purpose. feel important for. <clears throat> that's tied to that identity. Like, who am I? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember like taking a break in between one of the classes and saw like one of, you probably made the thing, the, like, you know, the advertisement, like, like flyer, are you interested? Yeah. yeah flyer. Yeah. Like, are mm -hmm. you interested in, in joining this? And I remember being like light bulb, kind of like, you know, epiphany, spiritual moment, like just a clarity, whatever. Like, Oh dude, maybe this is the thing. And walked over and introduced myself to Claudia and like who that guy was as comparatively to that 19 year old kid showing up for, like, I, dude, I mean, there, there's some semblance of, of, of him when he, the 19 year old kid, but like the fact that I even walked over there and introduced myself and like, I, that was like a significant, like, you know, deal. And, uh, it's, it's always people like that, that answer to the flyer <laughs> though. It's truly like a movie, you know, yeah. who yeah. am I? Oh, look at this. Is this a sign? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know dude. what you were like? This is what I remember when I first sort of like, you know, had interactions with you. You were like somebody who just figured out that they're a person. Like, wow. like really, it was like, oh, my God. Like, he was telling me like, yo, Frost, get this done. Get that done. I'm like, what? Like, it'll get done. But he's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Because he just yeah. like seemed so excited, excited. Yeah. that like there yeah. was time right. or something like that. Is that accurate right. to say? That, no, that's that's very accurate. And I think that that's a part of kind of like my ism as far as like the, an ism is kind of an expression in the recovery world, like alcoholism. There's the alcohol piece, but the ism is like all the other emotional kind of mentality thing behind it. And that's a part of my ism is that when I'm involved in something, like I really want to be involved in it. And in particular with the Al magazine, that was the first time outside of like work in a recovery community that I was being interjected into something cool that I, that I was like interested in. And it was, it was that much more important <clears throat> because you guys, like a lot of my fellowship in socialization in, in early recovery was purely with other people in recovery. And when you see us in the grocery store, it's not like we're aliens, dude. Like we, you know, we fucking blend in. But when I met you guys in the context of, you know, academia, that was like, it was important for me because I was expanding kind of like, I don't have to be shackled to only like hiding in meetings uh, in, re in recovery. Like I can, I can be a person. And yeah, well, what you saw is me like first tapping in three years sober, but first tapping into like, you're a person out here. Yeah, no, that was, that was really cool to see. And, and, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky that we got to even hear your story in that way. Uh, because it's like, it reminds you of the things that you take for granted. And we were like, you know, I think we went to the DC trip or something. Yeah. And, you know, you were all gung-ho on that trip too. And it was just like, you see somebody who is not taking, uh, 
any moment for granted and is just like, let me go all in on this thing. And then you're like, you're you're inspired because you're like, yeah, I guess like, let's let's do this thing all the way. And it's it's really nice to see that. You guys were so perfect too, man. I mean, like there was just so much warmth in acceptance and it, it, it made it very easy to just kind of like fall right in place. You know what I mean? Like, and just in being authentically me, obviously by nature of just like me being transparent about my recovery. Cause that was like a significant deal for me, especially getting sober young and like, how, how am I going to socialize as a real person when, when I'm, I'm making the decision to stay sober? Cause I know I need to, you know, like, cause I know that yeah. I don't, I don't want to go back there. How am I going to date again? How am I going to make friends that, that, you know, whatever. But, and you guys were kind of the first exposure and, and, and beautifully, and again, just kind of like otter God type stuff. Like you were one of the first group of people to be like, dude, you can be yourself and we're not, we don't really care. You're not that important. You know what I mean? Like and just, were you like afraid at first? Um, first with, met them? I, I will say with them, no, cause I was like, I, there was another exposure type moment, whatever. And when I, for work, like that was, that was probably the first place I, I worked at Applebee's where everybody was like, you know, kind of like on the same wave that I once was on. Mm. But what I fit, what was really helpful in that experience is realizing like, I don't have to go back to being that guy to still be a part of hanging out and whatever. You know what I mean? Like I would have some healthy boundaries in the workplace, but like I would meet guys and we'd go play FIFA at my apartment after a shift. You know what I'm saying? So like it gave me like, oh, dude, you're, you can be just a normal person. It's not that big of a deal. Like you're sober. Again, you're not that important. Nobody really cares. It's important to find also people that are likely have unique stories and all the people that mm -hmm. you kind of came across in that magazine. I always say this, like those were some of the best group of people because they're all weirdly themselves. And yeah, dude. Yeah. And it's, it's fine. Like you realize that, oh, like they are comfortable in being this unique individual and you don't really get to meet that many weird people at the same time. Cause usually everyone, it seems like is the same and they're, yeah, right. you know, cookie cutter and you got to try to fit in, in that way. But they celebrate your uniqueness yeah. and your yep. difference. And that's super yep. important. Yeah. I don't know if there's like a correct answer or anything but like do you think that's important for anyone going through recovery to find like a weird group of people and how they would go about doing that i think i would frame it from the perspective is important that that you find it so that and this is what ultimately i mean it, what, i think what we're talking about here is community and community Absolutely. has been my saving grace since day one i mean the reason that i even entertained the idea of staying sober is because i was introduced to this community that made it look attractive the reason I continue to stay sober to this day is because I'm a part of a community that like it, it's much different than it once was because I've, I've gotten older in this thing. I've gotten wiser in this thing, um, but it's still I'm still very much in that community. So for anybody who is entering recovery, I think it is fundamental that they find a community where they can inevitably be vulnerable. They can they can be authentic. They can be themselves without like harsh criticism and judgment. And that's what I found in that program MRP, that's what I found in, in, you know, in 12 step rooms. And then inevitably that's what I found at the Al magazine, dude, hanging out with all you guys. Yeah. And that seemed to spark something in you that I remember, you know, we, um, you, you were on Instagram and I was keeping up with you and I was just, I wanted to see, you know, what you were up to next, but you kind of 
took the world by storm and, and went for New York City. You went to NYU. Yeah. What's, yeah what, what was that whole like, you know, transition where you were like, all right, I can do anything now and I'm going to yeah. try to. From a guy who was broke know. to going to one of the most expensive cities in the world. <clears throat> yeah. People tried to warn me about that. I should have maybe <laughs> listened a little bit. Um, Claudia was one of them, dude. I remember sitting at the, you know, in that, that back classroom and God bless her. She wasn't wrong. And I, I don't want to say this like out of, out of spite or anything, but she was, she was like really trying to be a voice of reason for me. She was like, mm. you know, I, NYU is cool. That's great. But is it realistic? Is it practical? I think that she, she so also you knew like, you wanted to do NYU. <clears throat> I, so you guys kicked up this journalism thing in me and I was like, this would be, this would be a cool purposeful profession, but how the hell am I going to do it? And I started with you guys, took, took Claudia's classes, got involved in the multimedia studies and was, you know, at a community college level and was showing up for class. And a lot of those like principles that are tied to early recovery, like how to stay sober at a day to time are very, like very much transform into all my affairs. So then what would happen is I would participate in the classroom. I would stay after class. I'd, I'd seek out, you know, Claudia, Dr. Halleck, uh, Susan Meyer, like these fundamental mentors that I had at HCC. I would get to know them. I, w- I would ask for their help. I, so what happened is I started getting decent grades. And with those grades tied to the journalism kind of, you know, enthusiasm, <clears throat> I said, where can I go and what can I do? And I almost just started talking it into existence. And it's not like I did that intentionally, but when, like in, in small talk, even like when people would ask me like, okay, what's that? What's after HCC? I'd be like, well, this is what I'm thinking. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm really cool. I, I like this journalism stuff. Um, I'm getting good grades. I'm going to be able to transfer to a, to a decent school, I think, and maybe even get some financial aid because of like, you know, et cetera, et cetera, decent grades, scholarship stuff. And, um, and before you know it, just by nature of having those conversations, and this is where the recovery community is so powerful. I told Claudia the day that she was trying to like talk me, talk some reason into me. I said, Claudia, I can't go into the grocery store without seeing like five people I know from the recovery community. I know for a fact like that can launch me into something. And can you imagine New York City of all places? Like if I if I go to the grocery store in Hartford County. Like that's got to transform into something bigger in New York City. I don't get <clears> it. Sure. What are you What are you trying to say? Like that. <clears throat> from, oh, think about it from a density perspective. Like there's like so you'll many see more peop- people recovering. Not even just see more people, but know them, and that <clears throat> and that's that's become a reality. Is that starting in Hartford County, right? Where there's I don't know what the population there is. It's not crazy big, but literally there's so many people in recovery there. So many. So if you take that onto a scale of New York city, think about all the people in recovery in New York city. Like there's going to be a crazy amount of people in recovery. So So you're thinking that you're going to work in that sort of uh, field. Well, actually it was just, just, just from socialization, just literally peer to peer connections. Community. Yeah. 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 Well, and it was more so tied to the fact that like, I know that I know somebody in those grocery stores, like symbolically, right. That knows somebody in that big Mecca of New York city. Mm. And again, I would just kind of speak it into existence. And what happened is sure enough, this dude, Matt Villanobos happened to be very close friends with this guy, Zach Clark and said, if you want to go to New York, you should talk to this guy, Zach. So I emailed Zach and before you know it, like, he's like, yeah, come up. And 
not only from a recovery perspective, can I introduce you to some friends, some meetings, et cetera. I can like, I also help run a business and could potentially, cause I also worked in treatment. Shout out Ashley. I worked down there and in, in outside of Baltimore at a treatment center for, I don't know, for three, four years. Um, <clears throat> I left what, that's another thing that started happening. I, I left, um, I left Applebee's, started going to school and got a job at this treatment center. And my only credential was the fact that like I got sober young, but it was also an interesting time because there wasn't a lot of young employees that got sober young. So I became kind of like this interesting dude for the, for the patients in treatment when the young people were kind of like, you know, freaking out, maybe in a level of denial, questioning things, a little ambivalent about, you know, kind of what they were doing, where they were going. <clears throat> counselors and therapists and doctors, they would, I would, I would get called in to talk to those people and just get to know them and say, like, kind of share some of my, ex- my experience. And through that, dude, just like my, the, the social landscape of the, of my whole experience in Bel Air transformed because what would happen is I became a guy at that treatment center. And then similar to myself, a lot of people would leave Ashley for extended care and go to the same sober living that I went through. So there was this kind of like I met them in treatment and got to watch them transform their lives. And so before you know it, like there's this robust community that I know very intimately and started talking to people. And they were like, yeah, I talked to this guy, Zach, and I'd been working in treatment. And Zach said, Zach offered me a job. Wow. You, so could have, you could have like ran away from that world, but you, you know, went back towards it. Was it because you felt like you could really play a part in giving back or was it that it was an easy thing to do or was it both? It was both. So I moved, I moved to New York still very much like interested in the journalism stuff, but it was kind of like this duality because I was, I was in love with helping people. And a lot of that stemmed from, again, like kind of mentioning just the, the, the amount of, um, death that I witnessed early on me and my, he's like my brother, uh, Tommy, I think you might for us, maybe even met yeah, Tommy. I him. Yeah. So me guy. and Tommy, yeah. <clears throat> me and Tommy got, so we were the only two 19 year olds in this, uh, when we got sober together, he's my day one. Like literally, I think I was at MRP for a week before he showed up and we just stuck together like glue. Cause we were like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, dude, I don't know. What are you doing? You know what I mean? Like we're both kind of lost kids out here and that's kind of where the community started in a way. And we just allowed ourselves to build and build and build. And it got to a point where, um, we just, I I don't know. I mean, we got so, it's not like I made the conscious decision to do it, but when we started like Jamie, God bless her soul. She passed away. She was my, my girlfriend of, of, of a year. Um, Ryan Morton, uh, I mean, Dustin, I mean, there's a long list and it's pretty tragic stuff, but we, we, me and Tommy witnessed a lot of death and unintentionally what we decided to do is start helping people. It's not like we ever sat down and said, Hey man, we like, we need to, we need to put our capes on. It's also something that, you know, so that helps Uh, for sure. Again, like going back, like I was an expert in my story. Right. And I knew that there was a lot of other people who had very similar stories to mine. And, but the difference was I was a little bit further down the road because I had gone to treatment. I had stayed sober since, you know, that, that program after treatment. Um, I was living amongst the living, going to school, meeting people like you. So all of a sudden I had like this hope to my story. 
people would enter treatment and I could, I could go back and, and report like, Hey guys, like, I, you know, I don't want to say I figured it out, but my life is good today as a result of some stuff. To to. Right. And, and as a result of that, me and Tommy got to help a lot of people, a lot of people again, simultaneously, one of the weird kind of like culture things that's happening is that opiate epidemic. So a lot of young people for the first time really ever start entering treatment at a rapid rate. And me and Tommy, who are a little bit of ahead of the curb, just by pure circumstance, happen to be, you know, there to, to say, we're here to help. So that's kind of like I, I, this duality thing. Like I went to New York being like, OK, I can work in this because I have experience doing it. I do love it. But I am interested on a personal level in the journalism stuff. But what that that the journalism stuff, once I realized like how just cutthroat and competitive and like you got to start like at the bottom, bottom, bottom up here in the city. I was like, I'm just I'm already leaps and bounds as far as like working in treatment in this recovery space. Like I'll just do this because I seem to be pretty good at it and people acknowledge that I'm pretty good at it. So I just ran with it. Yeah. Just so you know, if you're ever still interested in it, there's plenty of ways to do journalism today, uh, including <laughs> like this, yeah. including this podcast that we're doing right now. Right. Um, but you know, it's it's essentially just telling stories and telling uh, the people of what's going on. So, just I would say be creative about that and think what's what's one way that I could do that. Um, you know, like there's uh, photo- photography and journalism go hand in hand, and and all these video platforms that we have nowadays so um you know if you're ever interested in that like don't don't ever give up on uh that dream because there's plenty of ways to still do it you're right um, <clears throat> you're definitely right yeah. it's it's it, it comes it also comes down to like a time thing and mm-hmm. what's happened yeah. is in the certain space like i've i've definitely like absorbed a, a crazy amount of responsibilities um and now I've got to like learn how to manage my time and, and find, but you're right, dude. Like I need, like, that's such a, especially cause this whole thing, like recovery, drug and alcohol addiction, it's still very taboo and mm-hmm. in certain cultures, extremely taboo. And a lot of people still struggle to access quality treatment. So I think the more like kind of the megaphones can be out there, like my and just saying like, Hey dude, like th- this can be so normal. You can go to bachelor parties, you can go to Ravens games. Like you can be a normal dude out mm-hmm. here. But the fact is, like when when nobody's really looking, I'm I'm tapping into my 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 you know my medicine and and going to some meetings and you know following some direction. But like it's not yeah. the end of the world by any means. Yeah. What what I'm scared about actually, I've like thought about this recently, but especially after this like whole COVID incident, how much addiction and that people have probably gotten into because you know everyone's so alone and people are separated. Like that's I'm scared of the future and what is going to happen. Has that something that crossed your mind? Yeah. Well, in, 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 um, intuitively so when this first thing, like, I like you just knowing what I know and that like, there's this cliche that, uh, addiction is the disease of disc of the disease of disconnection. Meaning that like very similar to how I'll explain to you guys, like I, I got lonely because my behavior was ridiculous and there's, you know, a lot of just, dramatic stuff that I would get myself into. So people naturally were like, dude, you go figure it out over there, leave us out of it. So I think when all of a sudden you combine that with like very literally speaking disconnection because of this whole, you know, virus and pandemic, I mean like the New York times has written a couple articles of late acknowledging that like, this is this uh, treatment. And it's a, it's a weird time in treatment too. Um, it always is for that matter, but um, because it's also like these treatment centers are 
are community housing. Um, so you are, you're inviting patients to come in, but at the same time, like have to keep them safe. And then at the same time, when they leave, they're completely alone. So it's this kind of paradox of where's that middle ground. And that is, I mean, professionally, what I do on a daily basis is try to figure out that finesse. Like, how can we do this safely? We've got, I mean, I, I work for release recovery and we've got, um, three sober living homes, very similar to an MRP that I went through, like after treatment, people come to us for transitional living and we invite people in, but I've got in the city right now, I've got, I've got seven dudes and it's like, how do we do this safely? And not for nothing, like since March, we've been figuring this out. Like it's, it's craziness. Uh, and then when they leave us, I mean, a lot of people are then, you know, meetings are on zoom now, as far as like recovery meetings are on zoom now. I mean, it's like, there's no more fellowshipping at the diner after the meeting. You know what I mean? Like a lot of this stuff has been, um, has been just completely changed. So it's, it's an interesting, interesting, interesting time. Similarly to what like Shamir was saying, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are getting, uh, forming addictions and from what I've sort of seen, um, you know, there's there's a lot of other things that you could get into that have similar effects as drugs and alcohol when it comes to your mind wanting that thing over and over again. You know, one of those things people have been comparing is something like social media. But there's mm. so much access to different things um, online, whether it be, you know, all the the likes that we, that we want, um, you know, all the follows. It could be pornography, whatever it may be. But through your experience of everything that you've picked up, like, you know, anybody who is currently listening and, and going through some form of addiction themselves, what's kind of like the first steps and, and you know, wh what's the light at the end of the tunnel that helped you get there uh, towards recovery? Well, I think inevitably it came down like the first literally the first step was just the ability to finally ask for help, like the ability to finally identify, acknowledge like this isn't sustainable I can't do this alone. There's support out there, but I have to be humble enough to Was actually it embarrassing? accept that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when very similar to how it was explained in, like, you know, early in, in middle school, the high school days, like a lot of people were still doing what I was doing, but seemingly like with another level of grace and, you know, re uh, carefreeness. And, and they didn't necessarily succumb to the depths of like depression that I found myself and they could still work jobs. They could still kind of function to a certain degree. Some of those people, like I, there's a handful of guys that I ran with, like meaning that I used to like do a lot of pretty hardcore drugs with. They continued to do them after I got sober. And one day they just made the decision, like I'm done. And they, and they were done and now have families and kids and like own their own homes and what, you know what I mean? Like that just wasn't my story. I had, and again, like to answer your question, like I had to first acknowledge that like this, this, this affects me uniquely because, and I know it in my soul. Like I just, I don't possess the capacity to do this anymore and I got to ask for help. So that's where it all started. And, and you know, God bless mama bear called mom like, Hey, I know we've been through this, but we got to We got to rock and roll and we got to do it pretty quickly. Cause I will change my mind. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, what are you currently working on right now? What do you see as, um, you know, your future with your, your hopes and goals <laughs> going forward? <clears throat> well, I think, I mean, to like, even going back to, to, Looking at like, I mean, stuff that you guys have done, like how, how to create a space for you guys. I mean, I, I was, I was getting more in tune with kind of what you've been doing lately. And it's just like, 
there's so much room to just like be a voice, right? And just to be like a sense of belonging. And I think that's what I've always appreciated about you, particularly for us. Like you're so community oriented. You're so like, like arms wide open. Like how can we do this for people and, 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 and the, the value of we. And in my own way, personally, professionally, like I've been doing that through a professional lens and a personal lens, but it's been very much kind of like, you know, just in my immediate kind of like life, right? Like we've never, speaking for like me and my friend, like we've never really utilized platforms that exist to really kind of like, you know, magnify some of some of our stories and who we are and what we do. So I think that that is a, is a cool thing to think about, like how I can, I can channel some of that and we can get creative and, and make this thing attractive to a, to a bigger audience. Um, but it's also this, this balancing act. Cause I'm not here to say like, I'm an expert on anything, dude. Like I, I'm, I don't want to be like this, like, you know, it's such a, it, cause for, for, for recovery in particular, because there's so much new, like, you know, therapists are involved nowadays. Doctors are involved nowadays. Everybody's got an opinion and it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of finding that voice in the midst of all of that and not necessarily stepping on the toes of people being very kind of like it's a weird space to 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 start like kind of advocating for but inevitably i think that you know as far as the future is concerned i definitely like release is is such a beautiful thing these two guys the guy zach that i was talking about i still work for him he's become very much like a big brother very close friend mentor and his co-partner, Justin, is another like big brother of mine. They're a little bit older than me, <clears throat> but totally took me in another wing. And we've just been kind of on in our own like immediate area, been creating in, in, in our like, you know, uh, these these sober living homes and, and recovery coaching and like how can we meet people and get in front of people and, and hopefully just kind of like listen to them and learn who they are and not be so kind of like ultra clinical, ultra therapeutic, but just like kind of be a dude that shows up with some tattoos and a Yankee hat with some, some Jordans on and be like, yeah, what up, dude? Like, who are you? Well, you know, yeah. what are you into? I think, I think you're the perfect person for that, for that reason. <laughs> but, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, also it's, it's that, uh, you are, you are contributing in some way. Like I know you have, um, your, with release recovery, you were raising some money for something. Do you want to explain what that is real quick so we can link it in the bio as well? For sure. So this is in this y'all probably get a kick out of this. So 2020 was nuts for everybody, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, so what also happened in the midst of that? And I've, I've I've said I've used I've mentioned Zach a couple times, but <laughs> Zach's sister <clears throat> anonymously submitted uh, this video application, whatever the hell it is, for him to be a part of the Bachelorette. And no way. I swear to God. So this is so crazy that this happened. So long story short, like he goes, he does it, he wins. Zach just won the Bachelorette. He's really? like, I mean, wow. I swear to God, yeah, I swear this this Wait, happens. So people know who this is. Yeah, oh yeah, dude. Yeah, people oh, know who dang. he is. <clears throat> and um, I mean, dude, he went from like you know six hundred followers to you know six hundred thousand followers. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> so we've That's all of a crazy. sudden got this new audience, and we've got like so we created a foundation. Because we're trying to, you know, we're not here to exploit anything, but we do like all of a sudden see an opportunity and it's, you know what I'm saying? So like, how can we use this opportunity for good? So 
again, going into like the big bureaucratic convoluted thing that I was mentioning earlier as far as Pandora's box, like treatment is a weird space. There's a lot of different forms of it. There's a lot of different, you know, insurance this, private pay that. It's a, it's a very complicated space to navigate. <clears throat> so knowing that I, I've worked in inpatient treatment, outpatient treatment, now sober living, Zach and Justin have been working in sober living for like, you know, probably 20 years combined. Um, again, we're not, ex- I, we, we, we know the space pretty well. We know the ins and outs of like what quality treatment is, what it looks like, who to trust. So, um, we, we, we create, yeah, dude, you find, you've seen him. Yeah, there he is. God yeah, bless just him. looking it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. That's so yeah. cool. Great. Wow. And again, that's the first guide for us, like sitting in the Owl magazine that that's somebody was like, yeah, he called this guy, Zach. And then flash forward five years later and the dudes, I mean, it's, and we, and that was what was so surreal too. Cause like, I, I don't, I've never watched the show and <clears throat> watching him do this. I was like, I know this guy like so incredibly well, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, to, to, it was so surreal to watch. And, but also so cool to be like cheer for him because like, I want him to find happiness and all the stuff that this show is supposed to represent. And thus far has been like a total success story. Like I met Tasha, she, awesome. you know what I mean? Like it's insane. Um, so it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting trip, but, uh, we want to raise money. We want to take advantage of the opportunity and raise money and help people access treatment, particularly, uh, people of color and women, because those are two very, very underserved populations. And, um, it's just, it's crazy. And I can, like the short of it is dude, like, when companies go in network on through through like okay you're you're say say you're a state run facility and you require on medicaid right and and you know 99% of your population is medicaid dependent meaning they have you know what was formerly a, a obamacare or, or or some type of state funded insurance policy right a lot of people who don't necessarily have access to you know say somebody that works at a corporation where I've got an Anthem plan because I signed up for that plan through my job. A lot of people who aren't afforded that opportunity will get some type of state-funded care. The problem is those state-funded cares, like the reimbursement rates aren't great. So what that opens up the door is that you'll have a Medicaid facility that requires, you know, in order to meet their kind of, you know, their financial needs has to have a population of, I mean, a lot of people. So then all of a sudden you've got, you know, Overhead's crazy. You're barely getting by. Your margins are thin, and you have to, you know, you, you don't pay your therapist the greatest money. They started like really, like you know, I mean, really entry level type salaries, and but they've got a caseload of of anywhere from like twenty to forty, fifty people, and it's it becomes this like mill, and you're not really giving people quality treatment. On the other hand, you've got like private pay institutions that cost an arm and a leg to get into, but you're going to get like really good treatment. You're going to get the, the intimate, vulnerable, like kind of like comforting, come here, let us show you what recovery is. <clears throat> and it's also a marathon. Like, you know, you go to a 28-day uh, day treatment center because that's kind of like the ICU unit. Like you got to stabilize. You got to get assessed. You got to understand like what's broken. But then very similar to my ex- experience, like then you go to kind of your aftercare where you do, you know, your physical therapy and you, you make sure that you still see your dietitian and your nutritionist and whatever, and to like make sure that your care is, is still there. So there's just so much misconception around recovery. A lot of people still think you go to treatment for 28 days, you do a, a you know, you get rinsed up you come out and you're cured. It's, it doesn't work that way. You're dealing with, you know, an ailment that <clears throat> is chronic and, and, and doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it does not go anywhere. It, it, that much is obvious. 
So, so this is going to help those people get the help. Get the quality uh, that treatment. Either can't afford get, it or, or correct. Get their, help, you know. We, we want to help you get quality treatment. And again, mm-hmm. like so many people can't access quality treatment because it costs so much mm-hmm. damn money. <clears throat> so the intention is if we can raise enough of it and we've got a ways to go and none of us really know how to fundraise, you know, so we're learning. Uh, but all, all, the, all the while, like, how can we raise funds? So we, we started this T-shirt drive. It actually, by the time this airs, it'll be it'll be passed. I'm sure that the, the T-shirts may still be for sale. Um, but we did a T-shirt drive where, uh, you know, where, where you, know, you buy a T-shirt and all the proceeds. two hours left on it currently. Yeah, so. right, right. So it, it's in it tonight, but it's been up for... <clears throat> for a few weeks and um we've raised you know i mean given the fact that we've never done this and don't know what we're doing like we've raised some money which is amazing so all those proceeds i think it's up to maybe fifty thousand. last time i looked wait so if people still want to buy the t-shirt and help out can they still do that after yeah after ends? so when this airs yeah for sure so okay uh there there will still the, the foundation is not going to go anywhere and people can mm-hmm. still access it and donate and those shirts will still probably have plenty of them because the be shirts because the shirt's really nice so uh <laughs> Go look at the shirt. I'm gonna get one because I like the shirt. It's a it's a nice design. So hell yeah, thanks, dude. Hell yeah, good stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So that's been just been an interesting thing. Like we so we we Zach and Justin started this whole endeavor in Westchester County, which is right north of uh, of New York City. It's about 45 minutes north of the city. Uh, there's a 17 bed sober living up there. It's structured. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's comfortable, etc. In early uh 2020 they brought me in to help build run facilitate a new york city property so i came in and started working with them in in 2019 got really kind of like involved involved and then we started building out this program and literally right when we got it up and running within weeks like we had to we had to figure out what to do because of covid and it's just been, it was a crazy, it's just been crazy, man. It's just been so crazy. And the, uh, you guys, I'm sure heard the reports and saw it, but like New York was a very, very mm-hmm. weird place for a long time. Yeah. No, that's, um, and, and living in your apartment, I'm sure it's, it's difficult yeah. at times. Like w- New York is supposed to be the place where everybody's just, you know, interacting constantly and all of that. So yeah. I'm sure that was difficult. Yeah. It's been weird, but um, this one of the kind of silver linings is again, like that, community that i've been blessed to i had to come up here and like you know do it all over again to a certain degree like i had to do everything that i did when i first got to bel-air as far as you know asking for help meeting people getting awkward uncomfortable whatever but have done that and um and it's like that's kind of the the silver linings like as much as you know your 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 average joe is very much in a different world Yes, I'm in a different world, but I still have so much access to this community. And um, we figured it out, man. We're a resilient lot that just figure it out. Yeah. No, your story, one, is incredible. I'm proud of you. You've uh, We forgot to mention that uh, you just hit your 10-year mark. Congratulations. Thank you, Just guys. last year. So, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> um, and you're doing great stuff. And I love your whole, um, you know, your perspective on it. And openness. With- and openness, yeah, I think it's super important. So thank you for for sharing all of that and being you. Yeah, thank you guys for for being you and providing the opportunity. <laughs> and um, I don't know, man. I think that I I just uh, I don't know what the end game is necessarily. You know what I mean? Like I just I just I, I just know that there's a lot of people still out there who 
are lost and, and don't really know what the hell is, 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 is up. And if, if there's any chance that some story, like some, some, just some experience that I've gone through is, is people can connect with and, and provide them some hope, then that's amazing. You know what I mean? For sure. Where can people, if they want to reach out, ask questions or get more information, um, are you doing stuff through social media or like, is there anything you want to shout out that we can link below? Yeah, I think, um, feel free to, to, to link, uh, to link me. Um, okay. what it, it's at Neil Patrick Harmon, uh, H A R M A N N E I L. Um, also really at release recovery, uh, at release recovery foundation. I think that, you know, those three things and hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we can help some people, dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. All right. So, there's one last very important question. Uh, our show is called Strange Flavors, and we ask all our guests this at the end of every episode. So, Shami, you want to take that away? If you could describe yourself in any flavor, what would it be and why? What a question. <laughs> what a question. I'm sure y'all hear all sorts of this. crazy stuff. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> shot clocks on. Um, uh, I guess just like the easy. Don't go the easy. Go with you. Well, that's the thing, right? Because I think I'm just going to choose something and then have to make it make sense. Right? That's, 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 that's the best yeah. part. That's, that's the creativity. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, uh, my, my, my instinct says to, to go with um, mint chocolate chip. Okay. And say, because like some people like really love it and some people just like don't really, you know what I mean? Like it, it's just not for them. And uh, personally, for me, like I, I, I tend to to really like mint chocolate chip. Does that make <laughs> we sense? Haven't, we, Does that work? We've gotten mint chocolate chip. Mint chocolate chip was actually my flavor as well, but nice. nobody said that reason yet. So yeah. okay, that was. I've noticed that, that with people though. Like when I when I get ice cream, like I, I get typically pretty excited. Like oh, this mint chocolate chip. Like I'm gonna try that out. The new new spot, whatever. And some people like have like really interesting reactions to like oh no no no, no I would never. You know we what love mean? it here. I love it. <laughs> okay. Shami right and I both love it. So we always get we're used to that reaction. So it's fine. Right. Okay. Cool. Good. You're loved here. Now, Neil, thank you again so much for being here. Uh, we you. appreciate you. And yeah, for anybody listening, I hope this this was uh, super beneficial. And, and go help out. Go buy some shirts um, and support Neil and everything that he's doing. Thank you so much, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for listening to another episode of Strange Flavors. It's been another week. Another flavor. A little less stranger. We'll talk to you next time.